Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part One Jorengard Chapter Three In the spring after Kristen's long journey, Ronfred gave birth to a daughter. Both parents had no doubt wished that the child would be a boy, but this did not trouble them for long, and they developed the deepest love for little Oldfield. She was an exceedingly pretty child, healthy, good-natured, happy, and serene. Ronfred loved this new child so much that she continued to nurse her even after she turned two. For that reason, Ronfred followed Sarah Eirich's advice and refrained from participating in her usual strict fasts and devout rituals for as long as she had the child at her breast. Because of this, and because of her joy for Oldfield, Ronfred blossomed, and Lovrens thought that he had never seen his wife look so happy and beautiful and approachable in all the years of their marriage. Kristen also felt it was a great joy that they had been given her little infant sister. She had never thought about the fact that her mother's somber disposition had made life at home so subdued. She thought things were as they should be, her mother disciplined or admonished her, while her father teased and played with her. Now her mother was gentler toward her, and gave her more freedom. She caressed her more often, too, so Kristen didn't notice that her mother also had less time to spend with her. She loved Ulfield, as everyone did, and was pleased when she was allowed to carry her sister or rock her cradle. And later on, the little one was even more fun. As she began to crawl and walk and talk, Kristen could play with her. In this manner, the people of Jorandgard enjoyed three good years. Good fortune was also with them in many ways, and Lovrens did a great deal of construction and made improvements on the estate. The buildings and stables had been old and small when he came to Jorandgard, since the Yeastlings had leased out the farm for several generations. Then came Whitsuntide of the third year. At that time, Ronfred's brother, Trond Ivarsson of Sundbu, and his wife, Gudrid, and their three small sons were visiting. One morning, the grown-ups were sitting on the loft gallery talking, while the children played in the courtyard. There, Lovrens had started building a new house, and the children were climbing up onto the timbers that had been brought by wagon. One of the Yeastling boys had hit Ulvild and made her cry. So Trond went down and scolded his son as he picked up Ulvild in his arms. She was the prettiest and most amenable child that one could imagine, and her uncle had great affection for her, although he was not usually very fond of children. At that moment, a man came walking across the courtyard from the barnyard, leading a huge black ox, but the ox was mean and intractable, and it tore away from the man. Trond leaped up on the top pile of timbers, chasing the older children ahead of him, but he was carrying Ulvild in one arm, and he had his youngest son by the hand. A log suddenly rolled beneath his feet, and Ulvild fell from his grasp and down the hill. The log slid after her, and then rolled, until it came to rest on the child's back. 
Lawrence dashed down from the gallery at once. He came racing over and tried to lift the log. Suddenly the ox charged toward him. He grabbed for its horns, but he was knocked off his feet. Then he managed to seize hold of its nostrils, pulled himself halfway up, and held on to the ox until Trond recovered from his confusion, and the men who came running from the house threw harnesses over the animal. Ronfred was on her knees, trying to raise the log. Lavrens lifted it up enough so that she could pull the child out and place her on her lap. The little girl whimpered terribly when they touched her, but Ronfred sobbed loudly, "'She's alive! Thank God she's alive!' It was a great miracle that Oldfield had not been crushed. The log had fallen in such a way that it had come to rest with one end lying on top of a rock in the grass. When Lavrens straightened up, blood ran from his mouth and his clothes had been ripped to shreds across his chest from the ox's horns. Tortoise came running with a sheet made from hides. Carefully, she and Ronfred lifted the child onto it, but she sounded as if she was suffering intolerable pain at even the slightest touch. Ronfred and Tortoise carried her into the winter house. Kristen stood pale and rigid on the pile of timbers. The little boys clung to her, crying. All the servants of the farm now gathered in the courtyard, the women weeping and wailing. Lavrens ordered them to saddle Goldsvine and one more horse. But when Arna brought the horses, Lavrens fell to the ground when he tried to mount. Then he ordered Arna to ride over to the priest while Halfton would travel south to bring back a wise woman who lived near the place where the rivers converged. Kristen saw that her father's face was grayish-white. He had bled so much that his light blue clothing was completely covered with reddish-brown spots. Suddenly he straightened up, tore an axe out of the hands of one of the men, and strode over to where several servants were still holding on to the ox. He struck the beast between the horns with the blade of the axe, so that the ox sank to its knees, but Lavrens kept on hammering away until blood and brains were spattered everywhere. Then he was seized by a coughing fit and fell backward onto the ground. Trond and one of the men had to carry him inside. Kristen thought her father was dead. She screamed loudly and ran after him as she called to him with all her heart. Inside the winter house, Ulfield had been placed on her parents' bed. All of the pillows had been thrown to the floor so that the child could lie flat. It looked as if she had already been laid out on the straw of her deathbed. But she was moaning loudly and incessantly, and her mother was leaning over her, stroking and patting her, wild with grief, because there was nothing she could do. Lovrens was lying on the other bed. He got up and staggered across the floor to console his wife. Then she sprang up and screamed, Don't touch me! Don't touch me! Jesus! Jesus! I am so worthless that you should strike me dead! Will there never be an end to the misfortune I bring upon you? You haven't! My dear wife, this is not something you have brought upon us, said Lovrens, placing a hand on her shoulder. She shuddered at his touch, and her pale gray eyes glistened in her gaunt, sallow face. No doubt she means that I am the one who caused this, said Trond Iversen harshly. His sister shot him a look of hatred and replied, Trond knows what I mean. Kristen ran to her parents, but they both pushed her aside, and Tortoise, who came over with a kettle of hot water, took her gently by the shoulders and said, Go over to our house, Kristen. You're in the way here. Tortoise wanted to attend to Lovrens, who was sitting on the step of the bed, but he told her that he was not gravely wounded. Can't you ease Ulfhild's pain a little? God help us. Her moans could arouse pity from the stone inside the mountain. 
We don't dare touch her until the priest arrives, or Ingiard, the wise woman, said Tortoise. Arna came in just then and reported that Sarah Eirik was not at home. Ronfred stood there for a moment, wringing her hands. Then she said, Send word to Fru Ashild at Haugen. Nothing else matters if only Ulfhild can be saved. No one paid any attention to Kristen. She crept up onto the bench behind the headboard of the bed, tucked up her legs, and rested her head on her knees. Now she felt as if her heart were being crushed between hard fists. Fru Oshild was going to be summoned. Her mother had never wanted them to send for Fru Oshild, not even when she herself was near death when she gave birth to Ulfhild, nor when Kristen was so ill with fever. People said she was a witch. The Bishop of Oslo and the canons of the cathedral had sat in judgment on her. She would have been executed or burned at the stake if she hadn't been of such high birth that she was like a sister to Queen Ingeborg. But people said that she had poisoned her first husband, and that she had won her present husband, Herr Bjorn, through witchcraft. He was young enough to be her son. She did have children, but they never came to visit their mother. So those two high-born people, Bjorn and Oshild, sat on their small farm in Dovre, having lost all their riches. None of the gentry in the valley would have anything to do with them, but secretly people sought out Fru Oshild's advice. Poor folk even went to her openly with their troubles and ills. They said she was kind, but they were also afraid of her. Kristen thought that her mother, who was otherwise constantly praying, should have called on God and the Virgin Mary instead. She tried to pray herself, especially to St. Olav, for she knew that he was kind and he had helped so many who suffered from illness and wounds and broken bones, but she couldn't collect her thoughts. Her parents were now alone in the room. Lovrens was lying on the bed again, and Ronfred sat leaning over the injured child, occasionally wiping Ulfhild's forehead and hands with a damp cloth and moistening her lips with wine. A long time passed. Tortoise looked in on them now and then. She wanted so desperately to help, but each time Ronfred sent her away. Kristen wept soundlessly and prayed in silence, but every once in a while she would think about the witch, and she waited tensely to see her enter the room. Suddenly, Ronfred broke the silence. Are you asleep, Lovrens? No, replied her husband. I'm listening to Ulfhild. God will help his innocent lamb, my wife. We mustn't doubt that. But it's hard to lie here and wait. God hates me for my sins, said Ronfred in despair. My children are in peace where they are. I don't dare doubt that. And now Ulfhild's time has come too. But he has cast me out, for my heart is a viper's nest of sin and sorrow. Just then, the door opened. Sarah Eirik stepped inside, straightening up his enormous body as he stepped in the doorway, and pronounced in his deep, clear voice, God help those in this house. The priest placed the box containing his medical things on the step of the bed, went over to the hearth, and poured warm water over his hands. Then he pulled out his cross, raised it to all four corners of the room, and murmured something in Latin. After that, he opened the smoke vent so that light could stream into the room. Then he went over and looked at Ulfield. Kristen was afraid that he would discover her and chase her away. Usually, very little escaped Sarah Eirik's eye. But he didn't look around. The priest took a vial out of his box, poured something onto a tuft of finely carded wool, and placed it over Ulfield's nose and mouth. Soon her suffering will lessen, said the priest. He went over to Lovren's and attended to him, 
as he asked them to tell him how the accident had occurred. Lovrens had two broken ribs, and he had received a wound to his lungs, but the priest didn't think he was in danger. What about Ulfhild? asked her father sorrowfully. I'll tell you after I have examined her, replied the priest. But you must go up to the loft and rest. We need quiet here, and more room for those who will take care of her. He put Lovren's arm around his shoulder, lifted up the man, and helped him out. Kristen would have preferred to go with her father, but she didn't dare show herself. When Sarah Eirik returned, he didn't speak to Ronfred, but cut the clothes off Ulfhild, who was now whimpering less and seemed to be half asleep. Cautiously, he ran his hands over the child's body and limbs. Are things so bad for my child, Eirik, that you don't know what to do? Is that why you have nothing to say? asked Ronfred in a subdued voice. The priest replied softly, It looks as if her back is badly injured, Ronfred. I don't know anything else to do except to let God and St. Olaf prevail. There's not much I can do here. The mother said vehemently, Then we must pray. You know that Lovrens and I will give everything you ask for, sparing nothing, if you can convince God to allow Ulfhild to live. I think it would be a miracle, said the priest, if she were to live and regain her health. But aren't you always talking about miracles both day and night? Don't you think a miracle could happen for my child? She said in the same tone of voice. It's true that miracles do occur, said the priest, but God does not grant everyone's prayers. We do not know his mysterious ways. And don't you think it would be worse for this pretty little maiden to grow up crippled and lame? Ronfred shook her head and cried softly. I have lost so many priests. I cannot lose her too. I'll do everything I can, replied the priest, and pray with all my might. But you must try, Ronfred, to bear whatever fate God visits upon you. The mother murmured softly, Never have I loved any of my children as I have loved this one. If she too is taken from me, I think my heart will break. God help you, Ronfred, Ivar's daughter, said Sarah Eirik, shaking his head. You want nothing more from all your prayers and fasting than to force your will upon God. Does it surprise you, then, that it has accomplished so little good? Ronfred gave the priest a stubborn look and said, I have sent for Fru Oshild. Well, you may know her, but I do not, said the priest. I will not live without Ulfhild, said Ronfred in the same voice as before. If God won't help her, then I will seek the aid of Fru Oshild, or offer myself up to the devil if he will help. The priest looked as if he wanted to make a sharp retort, but he restrained himself. He leaned down and touched the injured girl's limbs again. Her hands and feet are cold, he said. We must put some kegs of hot water next to her, and then you must not touch her again until Fru Asiel arrives. Kristen soundlessly slipped down onto the bench and pretended to sleep. Her heart was pounding with fear. She had not understood much of the conversation between Sarah Eirik and her mother, but it had frightened her greatly, and she knew it wasn't meant for her ears. Her mother stood up to get the kegs, then she broke down, sobbing. Pray for us, nevertheless, Sarah Eirik. A little while later, her mother came back with Tortoise. The priest and the women bustled around Ulfhild, and then Kristen was discovered and sent away. The light dazzled Kristen as she stood in the courtyard. 
She thought that most of the day had passed while she sat in the dark winter house, but the buildings were light gray and the grass was shimmering and glossy as silk in the white midday sun. Beyond the golden lattice of the alder thicket, with its tiny new leaves, the river glinted. It filled the air with its cheerful, monotonous roar, for it flowed strongly down a flat, rocky riverbed near Jorengard. The mountainsides rose up in a clear blue haze, and the streams leaped down the slopes through melting snow. The sweet, strong spring outside made Kristen weep with sorrow at the helplessness she felt all around her. No one was in the courtyard, but she heard people talking in the servants' room. Fresh earth had been spread over the spot where her father had killed the ox. She didn't know what to do with herself. Then she crept behind the wall of the new building, which had been raised to a height of a couple of logs. Inside were Ulfhilds and her playthings. She gathered them up and put them into a hole between the lowest log and the foundation. Lately, Ulfhild had wanted all of Kristen's toys, and that had made her unhappy at times. She thought now that if her sister got well, she would give her everything she owned, and that thought comforted her a little. Kristen thought about the monk at Hamar. He at least was convinced that miracles could happen for everyone. But Sarah Eirik was not as sure of it, nor were her parents, and they were the ones she was the most accustomed to listening to. It felt like a terrible burden upon her, when she realized for the first time that people could have such different opinions about so many things, and not just evil godless people disagreeing with good people, but also good people such as Brother Edvin and Sarah Eirik, or her mother and father. She suddenly realized that they too thought differently about many things. Tortoise found Kristen asleep there in the corner late in the day, and she took her indoors. The child hadn't eaten a thing since morning. Tortoise kept vigil with Ronfred over Ulfhild that night, and Kristen lay in her bed with Jan, Tortoise's husband, and Einvid and Orm, her little boys. The smell of their bodies, the man's snoring, and the even breathing of the two children made Kristen quietly weep. Only the night before she had lain in bed, as she had every night of her life, with her own father and mother and little Ulfhild. It was like thinking about a nest that had been torn apart and scattered and she herself had been flung from the shelter and wings that had always warmed her. At last she cried herself to sleep, alone and miserable among all those strangers. On the following morning when Kristen got up, she learned that her uncle and his entire entourage had left Jorngard in anger. Trond had called his sister a crazy, demented woman, and her husband a spineless fool who had never learned to rein in his wife. Kristen flushed with rage, but she was also ashamed. She realized that a grave impropriety had taken place when her mother had driven her closest kinsman from the manor. And for the first time, it occurred to Kristen that there was something about her mother that was not as it should be, that she was different from other women. As she stood and pondered this, a maidservant came up to her and asked her to go up to the loft to her father. But when she stepped into the loft room, Kristen forgot all about tending to him, for across from the open doorway, with the light shining directly in her face, sat a small woman whom she recognized must be the witch, although Kristen had not expected her to look like that. She seemed as small as a child and delicate, for she was sitting in the high-backed chair that had been brought up to the room. A table had also been placed in front of her, covered with Ronfred's finest embroidered linen cloth. 
Pork and fowl were set forth on silver platters. There was wine in a bowl of curly birch wood, and she had Lavrin's own silver goblet to drink from. She had finished eating and was wiping her small, slender hands on one of Ronfred's best towels. Ronfred herself stood in front of her, holding a brass basin of water. Fru Oshild let the towel drop into her lap, smiled at the child, and said in a lovely, clear voice, "'Come over here to me!' And to Kristen's mother she said, "'You have beautiful children, Ronfred!' Her face was full of wrinkles, but pure white and pink like a child's, and her skin looked as if it were just as soft and fine to the touch. Her lips were as red and fresh as a young woman's, and her big hazel eyes gleamed. An elegant white linen wimple framed her face and was fastened tightly under her chin with a gold brooch. Over it she wore a veil of soft, dark blue wool, which fell loosely over her shoulders and onto her dark, well-fitting clothes. She sat as erect as a candle, and Kristen sensed, rather than thought, that she had never seen such a beautiful or noble woman as this old witch whom the gentry of the village refused to have anything to do with. Fru Oshild held Kristen's hand in her own soft old hands. She spoke to her kindly and with humor, but Kristen could not find a word to reply. Fru Oshild said to Ronfred with a little laugh, Do you think she's afraid of me? No, no, Kristen almost shouted. Fru Oshild laughed even more and said, She has wise eyes, this daughter of yours, and good strong hands, and she's not accustomed to slothfulness either, I can see. You're going to need someone who can help you care for Ulfield while I'm not here, so you can let Kristen assist me while I'm at the manor. She's old enough for that, isn't she? Eleven years old? Then Fru Oshild left, and Kristen was about to follow her, but Lavrens called to her from his bed. He was lying flat on his back with pillows stuffed under his knees. Fru Oshild had ordered him to lie in this manner so that the injury to his chest would heal faster. You're going to get well soon, aren't you, father? asked Kristen, using the formal means of address. Lavrens looked up at her. Never before had she addressed him in that manner. Then he said somberly, I'm not in danger, but it's much more serious for your sister. I know, said Kristen with a sigh. Then she stood next to his bed for a while. Her father did not speak again, and Kristen could find nothing more to say. And when Lavrens told her some time later to go downstairs to her mother and Fru Ossield, Kristen hurried out and rushed across the courtyard to the winter house. <laughs>